Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. We haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name is Phil, and my wife and I are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us for service today on Sunday. You know, we are actually continuing our series today on the story of Jonah. We are in this series called Return to Sender, and this series is really all about when you receive something from God and you don't quite want it and you wish that you could return it to sender. Has anybody ever received something that they didn't quite want, whether it was a message? It didn't have to even be from God. It could be something that was literally delivered to your house and you didn't quite want it. And what do you do? You just return to sender, right? And so how many of us have ever received something from God? Maybe it was a message. Maybe it was something that we weren't quite prepared for and we just wish that we could go ahead and return that to sender, right? If you're ever honest, I've received things before that I wasn't quite ready for. I've received things that I thought I wasn't quite ready for that experience, and I wish that I could go ahead and just push that back, return it to sender, and get it back out of my life. Often, though, we find that life is predictable. It's not always the case, but life is predictable in many ways where you work really hard in school and then you graduate from school, right? where you save your money and you're diligent with your money and then you can buy the car that you want. And there are certainly exceptions to these kinds of things. It's not always the case, but in many ways, life is predictable. We can look at the past and we can predict what is going to happen in the future. And really, that's essentially what predictive texting is about on your phone, you know, like where you're typing something and then it comes up where it suggests things that you are probably trying to say to the person that you are sending the text to. So much so that it's really fun now and there's all these social media challenges and contests and things like that where you type the message. You might type something like, the other day I was going to, and then you keep on tapping the middle option on your phone until it fulfills this sentence. And it's usually really funny because it has nothing to do with anything that you would ever say. But that's essentially what predictive texting is, where you look at the past context and you can predict what the future is gonna be. That's predictive texting. And as well as that, we also have autocorrect on our phones, right? Can anyone thank God for autocorrect where you now no longer have to spell everything correctly? We used to have the little red underline and all the words, and it was always really embarrassing even when that didn't work, and you would try and right-click, and then it, wouldn't, it would say, like, I don't even know what you're trying to say. The word is so far away from what it probably is meant to be spelt like that I don't even know what it is. But we have autocorrect now on our phones where it can guess what you were trying to say and it would automatically correct the thing that was wrong. And how many wish that there was an autocorrect for 2020? Anybody wish that something or someone would just come on in and correct everything that is wrong with 2020 right now? Anybody wish that? Because somewhere along 2020, something got broken in the universe. Someone did something really wrong, and it just turned all of us off the message and the journey that we're meant to be on. And now I wish, in many ways, that we could have an autocorrect for the entire year of 2020, right? I think that we've all felt that at different times throughout this year. 
And I do think that in many ways that is a narrow perspective of what this year would be. If we tried to return this entire year back to sender, it would be a really narrow perspective. It would be really naive. And we would be missing a lot in this year if we tried to send the entire year back. Because I don't know about you, but for me, while it has been a tough year, we have seen all kinds of things that are worth celebrating. We have seen all kinds of things where people have, been, have found freedom. We have found all kinds of things in our life that are worth celebrating, that are full of laughter, that are full of joy. And I, for one, am so glad that I am still standing here in 2020, seeing God move. And I believe that God is still moving and God is still doing things yet, amen? But let me tell you, who wishes that you would try and send everything back to sender? That's the enemy. The enemy would have you believe that this entire year is a write-off, that this entire year will yield nothing, that this entire year is only going to fill you with despair. That is the work of the enemy in your life. The enemy wants you to try and think that this entire year is a waste. And while we're here in the middle of it, the enemy is saying to you and whispering to you, this entire year is a waste, that God is up to nothing, that you have no hope in this year, and that you might as well already be looking forward to next year. But part of this year for me has been about hearing God at work and hearing his quiet whisper in my life and realizing the moments that God is speaking because while the enemy would have us wish that we could return the entire year to sender, the enemy wants us to do that, but God is still speaking and says that there is many things that you can be looking forward to still. And so yes, God does speak audibly at times, but I find that God often speaks in a way that is more like a gentle nudge, that he often nudges us towards something. And if we honor that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit, then his voice becomes louder in our lives. And if we don't honor that gentle nudge, that prompting of the Holy Spirit, then he will respect that and he will speak to somebody else in place of us. But if we do honor that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit, then he will honor that and begin to speak more loudly. And so I'm just glad that we are still standing here, still believing that God is at work in this year, believing that God is still doing things, believing that God is still on the throne, believing that God is still in control, amen? And when I pray now, my prayer life has changed where I used to do all of the speaking in my prayer life. Anybody else like that? When, when you're praying, you say, I need to go and pray, and then you end up doing all of the praying, and it's like being in a conversation, but only being in half of the conversation, right? Because if you're not listening to God speaking, then you're missing half of the conversation. And so in this season, more than ever before, I need God to be speaking in my life. And even if it is a message that I don't quite want to hear, I still need him to be speaking. And that is essentially how we landed on the book of Jonah for part two in our series, Return to Sender, today. It's only a short book. There's only four chapters in the book of Jonah. It's a short narrative that we find in the Old Testament. And so for that reason, I'm just going to talk through the story of Jonah, not even his entire life, but just really this one moment in his life. We're going to talk through it today and pull out certain things that we can be learning from. And many of us that grew up in church, we know the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. But just in case you're new today, I want to set some context about who Jonah was, where he lived, and why we can be studying him out today. So Jonah was this guy in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we learn about Israel. 
Israel was the people of God, and we learn when we study out the Old Testament that God had these specific people that he spoke through. Specifically, these people would hear from God, and these people would then relay the message that God was communicating. And these people were known as prophets in the Old Testament. And Jonah was one of these people. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament. And uh, these prophets were really around to pull the people of God, the Israelites, back into repentance whenever they swayed from God. And so the Israelites would be tight and have great relationship with God and be obedient to what he was saying to them. But then, just like all of us, they would sway from what God would have them do. They would get distracted, they would lose their focus, they would become a little bit distant from God and what he was communicating. Like, how many of us set New Year's resolutions at the beginning of this year? Did anybody set a goal for what you wanted to do? You might not call it a New Year's resolution. Every year, Meredith and I sit down in January and we set these goals of what we want to be doing for our year. We don't just let the year happen, we set goals for what we want our year to look like. And so we sit down together in January and we say, this is what we want our spiritual life to look like. These are the goals that we have for our emotional life. These are the goals that we have for our relational life, financial life, all of these different things. We set all these goals, and some of them are for us together. Some of them are for us individually. Like, this is what I want my weight to be this year. This is what, how many times I want to go to the gym this year. All of these kinds of things at the beginning of the year. And then February rolls around, and then March rolls around, and April is never particularly a kind month when it comes to New Year's resolutions that we started at the beginning of the year, right? And then this year in particular, COVID comes around, and it became really difficult to stick true and stay focused on the goals and the plans that we had for this year, because now COVID messes with everything, and now we have every excuse imaginable to let go of every goal that we had at the beginning of the year. Like, I wanted to uh, maybe stick to this weight, or I wanted to eat this kind of food, but sorry, all the grocery stores have different hours, and now I can't get to the grocery store and eat the right kind of food that I'm meant to be eating, right? or uh, I'm meant to be going to the gym this many times every week, but now the gyms have closed and so I can't stay in the physical fitness that I'm meant to stay in. Right, all of these kinds of things. Or even, I know that I'm only meant to be watching an hour of TV every day, but then Disney Plus came out and because I'm a Verizon member, I know that I've got 12 month free subscription and so I might as well use that. It would be rude of me not to binge on all the shows that are available now on Disney Plus, right? And so we sway from what our goals were. And Israel, just like that, would sway from what God had communicated. And that's where the prophets came in, in the Old Testament, to pull their people back into repentance, to pull them back into alignment with what God would have them do. And specifically, in addition to that, the people of Israel really had this purpose on the earth to not just stay within themselves as a people, not just to love themselves as a people, but to expand as a people and to tell their surrounding neighbors, to tell, to tell surrounding communities and countries about the love of God, about the mercy of God. That's what their purpose was, was to expand. And so that's where prophets came in, and that's specifically where Jonah came in, was to go and to tell the Ninevites about the message of God. He was tasked with taking this message, but Jonah isn't really the nicest person. 
He isn't the most obedient person. He isn't the person that gets on board with what the message of God is. He pushes back. He's got a bad attitude, and he says that he isn't going to do it. And so while Jonah is in Joppa, God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh in the east. And so what does Jonah do? He goes to the west, and he heads towards Tarshish. He jumps on a boat, and he literally moves in the other direction. God says, go here, and then he moves completely in the other direction and goes there. And what I love about that is that God speaks to Jonah, and therefore God will also speak with you. Because God knew that Jonah was going to resist. God knew that Jonah was going to disobey. God knew that Jonah was going to move in the other direction, but he spoke to him anyhow. And I believe that God is still speaking and that no matter whether you are a male or female, young or old, rich or poor, whatever it is, that God will still speak to you anyhow. Amen? We believe that. It doesn't matter who you are, that God can still speak to you. Even if you have doubts, God will still speak to you. Even if you're not sure and that you are always moving in faith, God will still speak to you. And so Jonah... Here is this message that he is to move towards Nineveh and declare to the people the message that God will give them. But instead, he moves in the other direction and he boards a boat towards Tarshish. And he is so calm and so at peace that Jonah goes below deck and he falls asleep. He's not wrestling with this at the time. He is so at peace within himself that he is fleeing from God that he can fall asleep below, below deck and then a storm comes out of nowhere, right? An unseasonal storm. It just comes out of nowhere. And Jonah then wakes up to a conversation with the sailors where they have been throwing things overboard and then the conversation that is taking place is about who do we need to throw overboard? This is the conversation that Jonah wakes up to. And now if I'm Jonah and if I'm in this situation, I'm probably just gonna roll back on over, pretend like I'm still sleeping, that I didn't hear the conversation, and hope that they can figure out amongst themselves who it is that needs to be thrown overboard, right? But he doesn't do that. Jonah is now aware that something is going on, that God knows where he is, that he knows that he is on this boat, and God knows his exact whereabouts. It's like he is being watched, right? How many of us know that feeling, like you might be sitting at a cafe and you just feel like you're being watched, right? You might be reading your book or you might be having a conversation. You can just feel like you're being watched out of the corner of your eye. You know that feeling like you know that you're being watched? So a few years ago, Meredith and I needed to get a bigger car. Our family very quickly went from three people to five people, and so we needed to get a bigger car. We needed to get a newer car that would fit our entire family in it. And so we went out and we got this new car, and it was great. We loved this car. And because it's newer, it's got all this technology in it, you know, where it syncs with your phone and you can start it remotely, all these kinds of things. It's really, really cool. And one thing that you need to know about me is that when I get something new, I want to study it out completely. I want to figure out everything about this car. So I spent like four or five hours sitting in the garage inside the car, reading through the entire manual, making sure that I'm getting everything out of this car. Right, Meredith, not so much. She just wants to know the very basic about what this car is going to do. But I don't want to get rid of this car in eight years' time and then find out this whole time that it could have been parking itself or driving itself or something, right? So I want to read everything about this car to make sure that I'm not going to miss a thing, right? 
So then a few months later after getting this car, I was home with uh, my life group. I was hosting my life group, my guys in my house. And Meredith was out with the boys and she comes home and instead of parking the car in the garage, she parks the car in the driveway so that she can unload the boys. Brings them inside, we put them to bed. And then about an hour or two later, she remembers that she hasn't put the car into the garage. So she walks to the front door and sees that the car's not there anymore and says to me, oh, babe, thank you so much for moving the car into the garage. I said, I didn't move the car into the garage. And she said, well, I parked it right here. If you didn't move the car into the garage, then I don't know where the car is anymore. Right? And so we both go racing out into the driveway and we stand exactly in the place where the car had been, like just looking around almost like the car had shrunk or something, like it's not right here, I don't know exactly where it is, but I know that it was here. And you know, when you're in panic mode, your brain doesn't all the way make logical you know, thought and sense. So we start looking around and even though we know logically that neither of us moved the car into the garage of course we look in the garage just to see if maybe somehow i skipped that page in the manual and maybe it had parked itself into the garage but sure enough it's not there it has been stolen and my mind then immediately went to the owner's manual where i remembered that i could pull out my phone and i could see the exact whereabouts of my phone right so I go ahead and grab my phone and I open up the car app and I can see the confirmation that we had believed, which is that our car is no longer in our driveway, like I needed the app to tell me that it's not there anymore, right? Not only is it not there, but I can see that it's now five miles away, driving away from my house. And so we just start thinking, well then, what do you do in this situation, right? So we call 911 from Meredith's phone. I've got my phone held up where I can see exactly where the person that has stolen our car is going. And then on Meredith's phone, we're speaking to the 911 operator, and it was really this bizarre conversation. Because now I'm on the phone with this lady, and I said, hey, my car is stolen. She said, I'm sorry to hear that. Let me go ahead and get some details so that we can send someone over to your house and fill out a report. And I said, I don't know that we need a report right now. I know where the car is. And she said, like, you know the address? And I said, well, it's not so much exactly an address because I know that it's being stolen right now, it's being driven, but I can see exactly where it is. And so she said, oh, like you can track it right now? And I said, yeah, exactly. And so then it was this bizarre 15-minute conversation where from my phone, I'm tracking the car, calling on Meredith's phone, speaking to a 911 operator who then gets this patrol car and then relays the message so that we can now track down our car as it's being stolen. And it was just like a movie where I'm telling the 911 operator, okay, so the car is driving south on airport highway and they just took a right onto Reynolds Road or whatever it is, you know, we're just giving all the instructions of play-by-play of everything that's happening so that we can get our car back. No matter how fast this person drove, no matter what direction they went in, I could watch them, I could see them and track them at all times. And that's just like Jonah would have felt on the boat. No matter where he went, God was still watching him. Do you wish that you knew what happened at the end of the story? Like, did I get the car back or not? You'll have to come back next week. I'll tell you the end of the story. No, no, no. Just play. So we go ahead and get the car back. The police manage to track down the person. They bail out of the car. And we get our car back with just about, just a minor scratch on the car, working condition and all of that, because we were able to track it at all times. Isn't going good? Aren't you thankful for technology? 
But this is exactly how Jonah would have felt. But you've got to think, if Jonah was a prophet, if Jonah was used to hearing the message of God, if Jonah was used to hearing the voice of God, why would he flee in the first place? If he knew that God could track him, if he knew the expansive authority, the awesomeness of God, why would he run away from the direction that he had been told to go? Well, we don't know it yet in the story, but we come to find out later in the book of Jonah that it's because he didn't want to deliver the message that God had given him to deliver. That he was fleeing away from God because he knew that God would try and do what he didn't want him to do. He knew the nature of God. He knew the character of God. He knew that God was going to bring repentance to these people, and Jonah didn't want that. When I said that Jonah was a bad dude, I'm serious. Like, he didn't want to spread the love of God with other people. He wanted to keep the love of God all for him, all for the Israelites, so that it didn't need to be shared with other nations. And because he knows God, because he knows what God is going to do, that essentially brings the conflict that he has with God on this day. And God knows this. That's why every time God refers to Nineveh and every time that God tells him to go to Nineveh, he refers to Nineveh as a great city. And Jonah's like, that's not a great city. What are you talking about, great city? That city is full of evil. That city is full of filth and sin. What are you talking about, great city? But every single time that God refers to Jonah in the book of, refers to Nineveh in the book of Jonah, we see it referred to as the great city, like it's meant to be a dig, like it's meant to grind on Jonah just a little bit. And so it's because Jonah knows God's character, it's because Jonah knows the nature of God that leads him into this difficult place of reluctance, obedience, and so now we see him not wanting to deliver the message that he has received, he see, we see him wanting to return this message to sender, because Jonah doesn't want to love on the Ninevites. And all of us have a people that we don't want to love on. All of us have, it might not be an entire people group, but all of us have maybe an individual that we don't want to love on. You might be good with the neighbor that lives on this side of your house, but the neighbor that lives on the other side of your house, maybe not quite so much. You know, maybe the, the colleague that you have that might chew too loudly and you find it kind of disgusting. Or maybe it's the person that's always late to work, or maybe it's the person on your football team that never passes the ball, or whatever it is. We've all got someone in our life that we don't choose to love as readily as we love some other people. And Jonah would have been cool if, he, if his message was simply to show the love of God and to communicate to the Israelites, but God didn't call him to that. God called him to share the message of God, the message of love to the people that didn't look like him to the people that didn't sound like him, to the people that he didn't want to deliver the message to. And that essentially is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God doesn't run away from runaways, that Jonah was fleeing, that Jonah was moving in the other direction, and all of us have some kind of message that causes us to want to flee away from God, but God doesn't run away from runaways that while you might be fleeing from God, while you might be moving in the other direction, while God might have told you to do this, you might move in the other direction, you might feel like you've taken two steps away from God, and you might believe that God has taken two steps away from you, but that is not how God works. God does not flee from you, God does not abandon you. You might have moved a couple of directions away, you might have moved a couple of steps away from God moving, but that does not mean that he has moved away from you. 
God is not burning the bridges that are behind you, the bridges that you have walked away from him over. God is preparing a party for you, ready for you to return home. That's the story of the prodigal son. That's the story of the loving father, that God does not flee from you when you flee from him, that God does not run away from you when you run away from him, that God is ready, open with his arms, ready to receive you back and welcome you back into his family at any time because he is excited about your future and he doesn't hold your past against you. This is the message of the gospel, that God doesn't run away from runaways. And so Jonah finds himself in the middle of the storm. I'm still talking about Jonah, but I do need to jump ahead real quick. So Jonah's in the middle of the storm, and then he gets thrown overboard, and then a giant fish comes out of nowhere and then swallows him whole, and he lives inside the fish for three days and has this massive interaction with God. And he doesn't quite repent, but he does commit to God to go to Nineveh. And then the giant fish spits him out, on the seashore, and this is the scripture that I want to focus on just for a few minutes here. We find it in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says this in Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many are thankful that God will give you a second chance? Amen. That even if you do the wrong thing, even if you miss the mark, even if you don't get things quite right, that God will give you a second opportunity, that God will still speak to you a second time, that God doesn't hold the thing against you, that he will give you a second chance. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it, proclaim to it the message that I will give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming this message. And really, this, is the, this next line is the only prophetic line in this entire prophetic book. It is found in the Old Testament, in all the books of prophecy. But this is the only line of prophecy, and it says this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's the only message of prophecy that Jonah goes and delivers to the Ninevites. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And in Hebrew, it's original language. This is only five words. Jonah communicates five words to the Ninevites. That's it. All he says is, destruction is coming your way. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. But what I like about this is that when God is in your five words, you don't need a thousand words to get the message across. When God is in your words, you don't need three hours to convey a message. You don't need to be eloquent of speech. If God is in your words, if God is in your action, all you need is for you to do exactly what he has told you to do, and he will be in that, and he will bless that, and he will honor that. And so Jonah communicates these five words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then verse five, it says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And the ruler of Nineveh calls for a fast throughout the entire city. And the entire city then repents and they put on sackcloth, which is an old tradition that you used to do if you were repenting of something. And if you were really sorry for something, the, the ruler of Nineveh says, this is what we're all going to do. And as a result of that, 
the entire city is saved. Jonah had gone to prophesy that destruction was coming, and as a result of that word, as a result of the response from the ruler of Nineveh, we see that repentance comes, and we see that salvation is theirs. But what's really cool about the message that Jonah communicated, those five words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, is that word overthrown. In Hebrew, this is a word called, and I'm apologizing here because it sounds like a cuss word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it sounds like hafach, right? When you speak Hebrew, you've kind of got to speak from the back of your throat, you know, like when you've got phlegm in your throat or something like that. Can we all say this word? Hafach. Right, you say that online as well, hafach. And so this word is the message that Jonah has communicated to Nineveh. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And yes, on one hand, this word does mean overthrown. It means overturned, it means destroyed, it means destruction is coming. But this word has a dual meaning. It has two meanings. In Hebrew, this word also means transformed. And so while Jonah was there speaking to the Ninevites, prophesying that destruction was going to be their inheritance, what God was actually doing was transforming this community. God heard what Jonah was prophesying, the destruction of this community, and he stepped into the impending destruction and he said that is no longer their inheritance. Restoration is their inheritance. Change is their inheritance. Transformation is their inheritance. And God has been doing that since the beginning of time. That God would turn what the evil one, the enemy meant for evil, and he would turn it around for your good. And you might have this understanding today of God that he is angry at you. You might believe today that God is upset at you, that he is disappointed in you, that God would wish your destruction but that is not the God that we serve. God might see the evil that you do, but he knows your heart. And God wants more than the destruction. He wants to see you transformed. He wants to see your heart open because he is a God of freedom. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of change. He is a God of liberty. He is a God of hope. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of healing. This is the God that we serve. This is our Father. God is not mad at you. God is not disappointed in you. God is not frustrated with you. God doesn't want to destroy you. He isn't waiting for the moment for you to slip up. God wants transformation in your heart. He wants transformation in your heart. He, want, he wants you to be moved into likeness like him. And so, essentially, this is the message of Jonah, that Jonah had prophesied destruction and that God had turned it around for his glory to see the entire people of Nineveh saved. And how many people know that when God does a thing, it's not always the exact way that we think that God is going to move? Like we think that God is going to do this and it turns out that he actually does this or we're asking for something in prayer and then he does answer the prayer but it's not exactly the way that we thought that it was going to be. 
And so as a result, we think that God is moving in different kinds of ways and we can be disappointed with the answers that we get from God, but that God is still moving and God is still in control. And while the outcome was not exactly the way that Jonah had thought that it would look, he thought that he was prophesying destruction on the Ninevites, there was still an overturning that took place. It just wasn't the way that Jonah had thought that it would look. And so, I don't know about you, but I am not ready to write off this entire year. While this year doesn't look the way that I thought that it was going to look, I am not ready to write off this entire year and return it to sender. I believe that God is still in control. I believe that I am still standing. I believe that you are still standing full of faith, full of faith that God is still moving. I believe that we can stand in this faith. And when we stand in faith, we get to see God is moving and standing with us. And when God is standing with us, we get to stand as well. We get to keep moving forward in faith, praying over ourselves that God would give us the strength to stand, prophesying over ourselves and our loved ones that we will continue standing, but not just our loved ones. This is the message of Jonah here, that God is not just for you and your loved ones. And really the question that I wanna ask you today is, are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? I want you to think about it because it's a tough question. Are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? It's easy to say yes. The correct answer should be yes. But when you really think about it, are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? Or do you want God to think about your enemy the way that you think about them? And I'm not talking about enemy like necessarily the terrorist that's on the other side of the world or anything like that. I'm just talking about the person that cut you off in traffic last week. The person that you felt your flesh boil up and you just wanted to pursue them down the road for a few miles. I'm talking about that person, right? I'm talking about the person who maybe lied on you, stabbed you in the back. The person that didn't tell the truth about you. I'm talking about that person. In theory, it's really easy to love that person. In theory, it's really easy to want God to love that person. But do you? Are you praying a blessing upon those people? Are you praying a blessing upon the people that have hurt you, upon the people that have gone against you, against the people that have stabs you in the back? Are you praying a blessing upon these people? Not just the people that look like you, not just the people in your family, but are you praying a blessing that God would bless those that work against me? That's the nature of the gospel, that you would not pray curses upon these people, but that you would pray for God to bless them, that you would forgive them, that you would move on past the offense, that you would not live inside the offense, that you would pray forgiveness over them, grace to them, mercy upon them, that God would bless them going in, that God would bless them coming out. Are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? That's the challenge that I wanna ask you today. Are you okay with a God who loves your enemies? Or do you want God to feel about them the way that you feel about them? That's the heart of the gospel essentially. Jesus went to the cross, not necessarily because of what Adam had done, not necessarily because of where the Pharisees had put him, not necessarily because of what the Romans had done and where they had put him, but Jesus went to the cross and love held him there because of the sins of you and I. 
love held him there. He didn't go there out of pity. He didn't go there out of judgment. But Jesus went to the cross because of all of our sins, because of your sins, because of my sins. Jesus went to the cross out of obedience to the Father because he knew that there was separation between the Father and us. And so he humbled himself and put himself on the cross so that he could cover all of our sins so that we could be made right with Christ. And if you don't know his love today, I wanna give you an opportunity before we leave here. I wanna give an opportunity to everybody, whether you're in the house or whether you're joining online today, whether you're hearing this message at another time, I wanna make sure before we leave today that everybody is right with Christ. And you might be thinking to yourself already right now, well, I'll fix the rest of stuff first. I need to pull out all the junk from my junk drawer. I'm gonna pull out all of the junk first. I need to get myself together and then I will repent and then I will ask God into my life. But I gotta tell you, all that stuff comes later. Right, today is the day that we pray for forgiveness in our life. We repent of our sin and we ask Christ to come into our life so that we can be changed forevermore. And then sanctification is the process as we begin to walk it out. I wanna tell you that God does not want evil over you, that God does not want destruction over you, that God is not speaking and prophesying destruction in your life, that God wants transformation over you, that God wants a heart change that God wants the bitterness to leave your life, the unforgiveness to leave your life. And sometimes the most difficult person to forgive is yourself. Sometimes you have done something yourself and you can't forgive yourself for it. I want you to know today that God has forgiven you and he has removed your sin as far as the East is from the West. And while you might still be fleeing, you have an opportunity today to make yourself right with Christ and so for the benefit of everybody who is coming to know him, I'm just gonna ask that all of us stand, whether you're in the building or joining online, we're all gonna pray this prayer together for the benefit of those who are coming to pray this prayer for the very first time. Let's all pray this prayer out loud. Father, I come to you now, broken, in need of you, in need of a savior. I haven't lived a great life and I need you now. Cover my sins, remove my wrongdoings and come into my heart. Forgive me, change me, make me a child of God and help me walk it out. I need you in my life. I'm committed to walking it out Help me to love my enemy. Help me to love everybody. And help me to see everybody like you see them. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Today I declare, come on church, say it loudly. Today I declare that I am changed, that I am made new, that I am a child of God and my future looks different than my past, amen.
We're believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the Give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.